0: Okay, I think we're ready to begin. My name is Tom Suter, and I'm the founder of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center. And welcome to our Thursday afternoon lunch after lunch IT webinar series. Today, we're going to talk about prioritizing citizen and employee experience through digital modernization and transformation. And welcome to welcome all the attendees, we know we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join us. And a special thanks to Alec Butchbaum. Uh, Laura Tuzelin, Eric Fullerton, and the rest of the Acquia team. They've been a great partner and they've been at the forefront of citizen services, as far as I know, last about 10 years. Uh, so, this afternoon, we're going to hear from our speakers. We're going to pop in a poll question or two and then try to answer all your questions. Um, I'd like to s- introduce the panelists briefly. We have with us Jacob Parcel, who's Director of Innovation Portfolio Technology Transformation Service at GSA. Welcome, Jacob. Uh, We have Don Lovett, and we feel really lucky to get Don because he's right in the middle of the coronavirus forefront. He's the Chief Information Officer, the Officer of Contracting and Procurement at the D.C. government, and uh, also we have with us Eric Fullerton, uh, Lead Product Evangelist at Acquia. Welcome, Eric. And we're still waiting on Scott and trying to round him out with the VA, but hopefully he is, he said he was a little bit busy, but he was gonna get on as soon as he possibly could Uh, so before we get into our first panelists i i was just kind of going back and i remember well i don't actually remember this when it happened but business week uh had a famous issue where they declared the paperless office and if anybody actually could guess that it was 1976. so (laughs) here we are in 2020 and we are not quite there on the paperless office So the government's been operating by fax machine and forms ever since. Um, A lot of the websites have an early aughts design and no mobile experience. So uh, the 21st Century Integrated Digital Experience Act or the IDEA Act was sponsored by a a couple of representatives, Ro Khanna and John Radcliffe, uh, who is now gonna be the DNI director. And it was signed into law back in December 20th, 2018 and it was meant to provide a digital experience to the citizens. And it kind of got launched uh, at a weird time. It got launched right before the government shutdown, if you remember, of early ni- of 2019. So, and also 2019 was a very busy time for OMB. They came out with lots of policies. So it kind of uh, didn't get the, probably the attention that it deserved uh from that but now we're 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 getting through a lot of the milestones and things are really starting to shake up and then we had this thing called the coronavirus which is all the things that are mentioned in the idea act really come to come to, come to the forefront when we're you know dealing with this pandemic so our first speaker is uh jacob purcell uh i have to throw in the gratuitous go hokies with jacob uh, but maybe Jacob, you could start off with uh introducing yourself and what you're working on and really frame it maybe start off by framing what the i d act means to the government Jacob I can't hear you okay we're I can. There we go. Okay.
1: Um, sorry about that. My headphones like to do that. Uh, so, uh, hi, Tom. I'm Jacob Parcell, the Innovation Portfolio Director at the Technology Transformation Service at GSA. Uh, within my portfolio, we have a couple of products that I'm very proud of. We have challenge.gov. We have digital.gov. and We also have the U.S. Web Design System, which is um, something that's very pertinent to the uh, 21st century Uh, IDEA Act. Um, As you had mentioned, the 21st Century IDEA Act was launched in 2019 or 2018, uh, December, late, I think December 26, 2018, if uh, memory starts correct, Um, and it requires agencies to update their digital experiences. These include websites, but also uh, non-digital services and talks about digitalizing them. Uh, my, My role has really been on the website modernization, which is section Three. Um, And at the end of last year, uh, agencies were required to report to Congress their uh, website modernization progress. And there were six or seven pieces in the website modernization uh, section they were supposed to talk about Um, one that I one one thing before that that I'll talk about before website modernization, I think some people may be interested about here is there's also the non digitized services that the 21st century idea act talks about and there is a report due, I believe at the end of this year that talks about how agencies are going to update uh, Non digital forms and things of that nature. And that's something that we will be seeing more of hopefully by the end of this year. Uh, But really what the work has been on in the last year, year and a half, has been on that website modernization piece. Within my portfolio, we've been uh, looking at our websites, I mentioned challenge.gov, and digital.gov, and how we plan to modernize them. And I believe that uh, everyone across the federal government who owns digital properties has been looking at how they're going to make them more searchable, more mobile-friendly, more user-friendly, and things of that nature. But as you mentioned, I have a very special role within my portfolio because we have been involved in the, um, in the U.S. web design system. There's section three talks about conforming to something called the uh, technology transformation services, U.S. web design standard. And what we thought this meant was the U.S. digital, uh, U.S. web design system. And we spent a lot of work engaging with agencies, a, a lot of digital leads across the federal government to decide what this meant. And what we did at the beginning of this year, uh, January 23rd, is we released what we called the, um, the, the U.S. Web Design s- s- Principles. So the U.S. Web Design System um, has um, these website standards that we released in January. They encourage agencies to use the design system to deliver a great digital experience by integrating design principles, following user experience guidance, and using design systems code. Agencies should adopt the system incrementally and prioritize information to align with the priorities identified in 21st Century IDEA. And since, so the web design system was really known as a a code repository to help you uh, create a nice looking website. And what we realized after talking to agencies as we develop, worked on this Section 3e is that there's more than just taking code and putting it on, on a website. You have to understand what your user wants. And you have to understand design. So we've seen a lot of success with this. And I, can, I know after the uh, webinar today, they'll be sharing some resources. You can go to digital.gov um, and see some of our, uh, content on the 21st century century idea. Um, There's something we call this week's idea. Um, This week we've created something that's on who's on your digital dream team, for example. That's an article about who you should include when you're creating a good digital experience. Um, But since the release of the web design system uh, design principles and website standards, um, we've seen an increase in uh, US web design powered sites, 55%. We know that 50 agencies are using the code and we're working with agencies to meet customer needs. And what we recently released was um, a form components section of the US web design system. And Tom, I know, as you know, that updating forms is a key uh, piece of the US web design system and the form components, yep. for example, uh, support this goal. And you know you can use it as a toolkit. It has principles and has guidance and code to help you build out these things. Um, and I would go in deeper, but I know we have three or four other folks that would like to talk about what they're working on. So I'll I'll pass it on, put myself on mute, and hopefully next time when you call me, my microphone will actually work right away.
0: So okay. next time. Okay, it, we'll get back to you with some questions, Jacob, and, and um, the next panelist, we'll go ahead with Don Lovett and uh, see what's going on. The He is literally on the front lines of this COVID response and uh, really excited that you could be on, Don. I think you're on mute. There you go.
2: Thanks, Tom. I, I really welcome the opportunity to share some of the things we've done in the District of Columbia. You know, being in the midst of all of the federal agencies, including GSA, gives us a tremendous body of knowledge that we can leverage. So, although we're not required to follow the IDEA Act, we certainly see a lot of applicability to the things that we're doing with both our citizens and other interested parties. So I want to share a quick case study. We've engaged in a new transparency site that really provides a lot of transparency around the procurement process. And you know, depending on how the time works works out, I'll be happy to share a little bit more about that. But it it really follows the design principles of the IDEA Act in that we've worked hard to make it accessible. We ran through some of the GSA program and other tools to make sure it's 508 accessible. It's a consistent format. So we've taken five distinct pieces of information and combined them on one website for the public and our our supplier community. And those five pieces of information are are our long-term plans for procurement, our acquisition plan, our current plans, our current solicitations, our awarded contracts, which, you know, we can talk a little bit about how the awarded contracts are becoming more and more digital by the day, as we're able to implement more electronic signatures, which allows those contracts to be more searchable for the public. And then our procurement um, activities, purchase orders, and uh, finally, the payment pieces. And so that this is really an exciting time. We've had tremendous response to that website over 18,000 hits have, uh, you know, been able to research things in a new way. It's more searchable than the information ever was. We're now able to provide uh, what's called a, a NIGP code, which allows particular vendors to see if we're buying what they're selling, as opposed to just a massive amount of procurement. In, in the, the procurement agency of which I'm the CIO, we procure goods and services to the tune of about $5.7 billion a year. So it's a massive amount of procurement that takes place. And we have regulations and standards that we follow from a compliance aspect and from a professional Um, procurement activity standpoint as well. Um, We really engaged in a user centered design and were able to enjoy some of the benefits of a mobile centric or mobile capable website that people can utilize from any device, from any location. So, you know, these are exciting times. I really um, continue to learn from my colleagues that are, you know, sharing their, their programs and, you know, hope to continue to leverage some of the great things that are happening in the federal response to this important uh, regulation.
0: Fantastic, Don. Thank you for that. And we will, bat batting cleanup, certainly not, uh, but certainly not l- the least. Uh, Eric Fullerton, and if we can get some perspectives from you across government, that'd be great. And then uh, even some, some, where the commercial sector has been been uh you know are they lagging are they leading where how do we compare in the federal space we kind of get ourselves federally and uh state and local focused but it'd be great to get some perspectives from you in that area
3: yeah for sure just to, to kind of add to that the aquia we have we we do a lot of work in federal and state and local government as well but we have 3500 customers which means we can learn a lot from all of our different Customers and the things that they're working on, and the digital initiatives that they're really focused on. So I can I can definitely kind of add add that and, and talk to that a little bit. So it's kind of a nice perspective to be able to hear from all these these different teams and groups that are all dealing with similar challenges, but slightly different, maybe depending on the size of the team. And I think you know what we've seen. It's it's yes, it's this act. It's also you know COVID nineteen, but. the the concept of digital transformation and being able to engage more effectively in digital has really gone from this like, wouldn't it be nice if we could roll out a, a good portal or a great experience or a new microsite to, in some ways, this is the only way to effectively communicate with constituents today. And that can be a little scary, but it's also a really interesting opportunity for, because I mean, right now, people are relying really, really heavily on on federal agencies and government agencies at large to provide them with absolutely critical information. And I think you know it's interesting when we think about the expectations and how a lot of times we have these quote unquote digital leaders or innovators who at the top of the market in a commercial space really drive consumer expectations. But as someone who's building an experience or building a site for you know, the government, you still have to kind of meet certain requirements. Maybe you don't have to be the Spotify's of the world and you don't have to be the Amazon's in the world. And that's okay, you shouldn't try to be. But there are kind of some baseline requirements around what you should be thinking on and, and really what you can be focusing on, which you know to me is really providing your citizens with the tools and information that they're looking for online and to lower the barriers to engaging with that material or information as much as possible. There's a really great, great quote from someone in the U.S. Department of Passport Services says, you know, as government agencies, we have to be resourceful, right? We don't have the same insight, research, or analytics that maybe you'll find at a Walmart or Target, but we do have to do what we can with the information available to us and take that information and try to create and turn that into into an experience. One of the things we've learned in, in the past couple months is there's kind of three areas that we're seeing are critically important to organizations, no matter what industry they're in, the ability to stay up and on and available, and that includes the protection and the security, of course. We're seeing massive traffic spikes, maybe lots of people coming to certain pages or certain materials that they really, maybe they hadn't, hadn't before. And I think we talked about this in some of the prep, the amount of the spike increase in the engagement on a lot of federal sites and, and properties, which I thought was Not surprising, but still a little bit validation there. And the other piece of this was this concept of being able to build new properties or sites or portals or whatever it may be really quickly and efficiently. And that's something that we've fortunately been able to see our customers be able to do. Um, You know, I have a couple examples here. Actually, I know this is not federal, but the city of Boston rolled out a new coronavirus information page, very specific, very specific information, they were able to roll out a new site in two days. And if you can't move that quickly, you're no longer gonna be the source of information that people are gonna be looking to So yes, you wanna be up and you wanna be secure and you wanna be protected, but you also need to be able to to move and build really, really quick and, and really fast. And some of the ways we see that happening and folks being able to do that is, is thinking about cloud architecture, of course, of course, from a compliance perspective and from a, a protection and security, making sure that you're fully secure and you can meet all those different regulatory requirements, but also a focus around open source technology. And we see this a lot, especially in bear markets or potentially in downturns. And actually, Acquie was founded during the Great Recession, which is maybe not the ideal time to have found a company, but if you are in open source as we are, we actually saw massive increases in adoption around open source because everyone has to do more with less. And when you have an open platform with, we're talking a lot about accessibility, making sure that you can create experiences that are accessible for everyone, but also to be modular and customizable, but still with that
2: balance
3: of security and compliance, I think that's something that's absolutely critical. And we're we're seeing that validated today. And I think the investments or decisions that are made today, they're not just gonna help you provide the right information during the COVID-19 crisis, they're gonna prepare you to respond to this act, but also to, to deliver a better experience online in the future. So it's not just how do I get through the next three months, it's how, what can I do in the next three months to help that while positioning myself for for the future. Um, I'll, I'll kind of pause there. I think that I've covered where I, I wanted to go. Yeah, at that's, what,
0: level. That's, that's great, Eric. And, and it, it really is lives at stake, you know, getting up a website. People don't think of that, that the government is really key in delivering these services that, that you know, yeah. that affect people's lives. Um, I'm going to ask a few questions, but we do have a Q&A box for any of the audience that wants that can that come up with the any ideas for this uh, panel that we have. And uh, I'll ask a few questions, then we'll we'll tee up the poll, Alyssa. But the first question I have is, what has changed because of the pandemic uh, as far as workplace uh, and, and some of the systems that you have have up? What specifically has has happened. And maybe I'll start off with you, Don, because I know you're dealing with uh, Washington DC and all the systems you had to stand up.
2: You know, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, everything has changed the pace of work in the district government, even though people are not visiting the office, I believe in most, if not all agencies has increased, you know, the focus on trying to serve the citizens through whatever vehicles are available is at everybody's uh, focus point. So we've been able to move roughly 18,000 people from office workers to teleworkers in a matter of two weeks. And I really credit our CTO, Lindsey Parker and her team for really accomplishing that in short order. In my agency, we were working toward more agility and so we'd already moved a lot of our workforce from traditional desktops to laptops. Sounds like a small thing, but it makes a tremendous difference when people are now asked to work from a remote location. We have opened up where needed some additional VPN capabilities that allow some bring your own device capabilities. But you know, in, in the government, we tend to wanna focus on government-oriented equipment because of the security profile and the capabilities that we can build into the operating system and the additional security tools that are that are involved. So it's been a tremendous effort to you know, move people to a remote status. Additionally, in the district, and especially in the procurement, we're dealing with some new requirements, the personal protection equipment, we're having to source those types of commodities worldwide, where traditionally we've done a lot of work with local vendors in the spirit of economic development in the DC area. Now we find ourselves on the worldwide market, trying to source personal protection equipment, medical equipment. We've been in line for the ventilators, just like a lot of state, local, federal, government, FEMA FEMA responses. So really trying to keep track of what's available where and balance the things that we can acquire with the things that are needed to keep our residents and workers safe is critical. As you probably know, the District of Columbia has its own police department and has a fire protection. So we have first responders So it was critical that we get the equipment in their hands as early as possible because they're on the front line of dealing with people and the, um, you know, adverse things that can happen in the pandemic from a health standpoint, from a public safety standpoint. And really being able to stand up additional hospital capabilities. We've been able to improve our throughput. Of our supply chain by moving from two warehouses to five warehouses to receive this influx of, of goods, and all of the systems that you wouldn't necessarily think of that are now more stressed by the pandemic. Everything from the unemployment systems, the procurement systems that I mentioned, the receiving, the um, education systems. We've gone to you know a lot of remote training with the uh, schools. And the same for our internal employees. We've been offering classes using collaboration tools. And you know, although some of that was done before this situation, it's really stepped up dramatically in the last two months. I could go on, but I, I do wanna share my enough. time, so.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, Jake, if you wanna, I, I know GSA probably was been a little bit further ahead than most, but maybe some, some things that you've noticed and then possibly what you've heard, uh, from other agencies.
1: You know, I, I can't compare with Don's answer <laughs> to be honest, but, um, I, I, we were in a good place cause we do do a lot of virtual work at GSA. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of, um, IT issues or anything like that. Um, I would say as a, as a manager, what has been, uh, challenging is sort of coordinating with my my staff's new work schedule so you might have somebody who works from like 6 a.m till noon and then hops off to take care of their kid and then you might have that so balancing your your staff's new work life reality with like the responding to the public and everything but what what I have noticed is like like my team has been in the most federal teams have been very dedicated to finding those times to connect and to solve, you know, problems and things to help, you know, the folks on the ground, get things done. So we we've been, we've been helping with a few things, but like from a GSA perspective, we were, we were, we were in good shape, but I didn't, you know, other agencies, you know, we would connect with um, had, you know, we're working. It, It felt like, there, there were a lot of things that were were addressed relatively quickly, or people did the best with what they had. That's that's what my perspective was, but I can't go into specifics and speak for others. Eric, anything to add?
3: I mean, no, not really. I think it's it's great to hear from the people on the on the actual ground and having those those day to day experiences. I think. Um, not everyone is in a fortunate place but ideally you want to have some some technology and some tools in place to be able to to respond effectively to to what you know what what these requirements are whether they change in 2 weeks or whether they change in another month or they change in 6 months so i'm glad that exactly both the uh, the folks online have had relatively positive experiences or at least being able to make some progress there
2: one thing i want to mention is you know even the small things that you don't necessarily think of You know, we've been in a long-term migration from physical phone lines to voice over IP. And so this has clearly been one of those times when having the voice over IP has helped us dramatically. Additionally, we've started to virtualize our call centers. So we have call centers, we have a 311 and a 911 call center that are, you know, quite large in volume. My agency has a call center for our supplier community and for people that are you know, struggling through the procurement process or have questions or need answers. And so having those, those um, call centers now supported with web front ends where the call center operators can function from any location has been, I think, a key ingredient to opening new lines of communication with our District of Columbia residents.
0: Does anybody want to comment um, video killed the conference call it seems like everybody's doing teams and zoom i mean what ha it just kind of happened i don't know we started doing it almost right away and it um, there seemed to be some advantages uh and, and maybe some some disadvantages but it seems like the old school conference call is is, is is on the decline. Have you seen a lot of that in DC government? And, and how about you, Jacob? You guys have always had these products, but- a-
2: Absolutely. I mean, Cisco has offered WebEx capability to state and local government at no charge for these trying times. And so we've been able to take advantage of that and really extend the reach of people that are using these tools. We've seen um, agency management become a lot more interested in these types of tools you know, it was pretty unheard of to see screen sharing at the executive levels prior to this, and now it's become an everyday occurrence. So people are building skills and capabilities, and in the spirit of what happens next, those capabilities are, are likely to continue and to help us to better serve our constituents going forward.
0: Okay, we got some uh... Uh, so, uh, how about we do a poll question, Alyssa? You want to pop a poll question? Okay, here we go. Uh, what is what has been your number one obstacle when it comes to implementing digital modernization? Uh, you can hit as many uh, as you want. I just found out the hosts and panelists cannot vote, so it's it's up to everybody in the audience to to do this. We'll give it about a second, a couple ten seconds. All right, go ahead, Alyssa. Let's see what we have. Wow, okay. Uh, Let's try to absorb this.
2: Not not to be a contrarian, but I would say that I'm really surprised by zero in the skills and training. Because at the end of the day, all of the technology supports people and their activities and their ability to do missions. So, you know, really having people building new skills in this time has been absolutely critical to success. I, I think the interoperability and, and the, uh, you know, lack of, of planning for this, you know, th- this is well outside the bounds of, of most continuity operations plans that, uh, you know, anybody's seen in the last 10 years. So. I, th- I think the ability to respond to this unique circumstance is a credit. I, I heard somebody say, now is time for IT to shine. And, and I think in many cases, that's, that's what we've seen, but at the end of the day, we're supporting the mi- mission and the people on the front line that are executing you know, what the government services that people expect um, and need in an efficient manner.
0: Yeah, one of the things in that poll is, is about the planning. I know a lot of agencies um, that they dust off shovel-ready plans for for this digital transformation. Do you think? Uh, let's go to an agency that isn't quite as mature as another agency. Where where do you get started with these with this plan? What did how you know where do you, where do you get started? And Jacob, we've dealt with this on mobility and digital for a long time. What would you? You know, besides getting the resources, where where do you start?
1: I I think you you have to look to see what is popular in the private sector or what other agencies are doing that's cutting edge and try to point yourself that way. Um, I do think you know when I looked at that poll, I see strict lack of strategy, I see lack of prioritization, but the the, the it seems like an uphill battle when you have these. Old systems or these old web systems, you know. There's a there's a number of different uh, content management systems we've seen. A number of ways that people are still building websites that you wouldn't think people are building websites. So I I think it it has to start with like what's what's new and what's long lasting. Do we go open source? Do we just take out this legacy thing and go open source and build off of something existing? But then you get into like, well, how do we do that? We don't know how to do that. So I think it goes back to Don's point of how do you get, you know, training to do those things. So, you know, we, I find that the folks who want to do the bigger stuff that know what they're doing, they would generally say, it's my project's not a priority. I could take you from zero to sixty in your time. But I think if you're an old agency, old system, old agency, tr- starting out, go and look what the, what the new folks are doing that. And I think there are plenty of places that you can kind of see where the cutting edge things are within and with. Outside of government, um, that where you can start. Yeah. It may be expensive. I didn't say if it would be. Re- you said no resources, um, but and that's how I would I would approach it. What's cutting edge, and where do you want to go, and where do you want to go that's going to be cutting edge in five years, and go from there.
0: Great, great. Uh, we got one question uh, from the audience. It's pretty pretty good one. We've gotten a few here that are pretty good. Uh, and this one is directed at you, Don, but I think that everybody has an opportunity to chip in on this, but uh, how is DC planning to prioritize their IT work and procurement with the budget issues that the city is facing? And I think we can input GSA or DOD or anybody on that one, but uh, how do you balance that out? We'll leave with you, Don, since it was directed at you.
2: So here, here are some numbers of what we're facing. I mean, the cold hard reality is the CFO organization has published a couple of numbers. We're gonna have somewhere between a 600 and a $720 million shortfall in our revenue for the district this coming year. So that's a staggering amount of money that is not gonna come into the coffers that allow us to provide goods and services. So we're, we're taking a very serious approach to the budget issues we're looking at everything from software licensing to contractor use, to you know, really trying to share some um, capabilities across agency agencies. One, one of the things that's really come out of this, and we, we stood up an emergency operations center in the district in the, the very early days of the pandemic. And so I think that's driving some new relationships between people from different agencies that are gonna live through the the next phase of operationalizing some of the new normal. And I think the new normal is gonna be the collaboration tools that we're working with are gonna be more leveraged. The things like the content management platforms to build websites, new content, new information, those are gonna to continue to be leveraged. So it, it's really gonna be a challenging world in all of the state and, and local government jurisdictions over the next couple of years. I heard one of my colleagues in, um, in one of the Western states say that their, their unemployment system generated more demand in one week than it had generated in the prior year. So we're kind of faced with the demand imbalance between what we need and are being asked to do with the resources. And so, you know, the theme is going to be, you know, let's squeeze more juice out of what we've got. I think the comments about open source leveraging best practices, you know, certainly I'm, you know, here on this call interested to see what we can leverage from, you know, some of the government uh, work that's already been uh, done. You know, this is no time to be reinventing the wheel. It's time to, leverage the best practices and the things that you've seen other people be successful with. And yeah, sometimes you need to put your own little spin on them. You've got maybe a unique requirement, but you know, let's do an 80 20 with the capabilities that are already built. We're we're really adopting a crawl, walk, run strategy that says, you know, we can crawl with some new functionality. Let's pilot it, get it out there quick as opposed to perfecting it and then run to make it a little more robust in the, uh, you know, subsequent releases and subsequent timeframes.
1: Yeah,
3: I want to jump in here. I feel like I I didn't record it, but I wish I did, because like these, that type of conversation is, is exactly what I was hopefully trying to at least allude to earlier. When we think about open source, we think about shared innovation, we think about the concept of of community, which is being able to use and leverage modules and tools and capabilities that maybe you didn't even build, but someone else did that you can use and you can apply and you can bring into your own custom you know, solution, whatever whatever that may be, but have like that, that flexibility to really manage and make sure that you can meet your own unique requirements. I think um, one thing that I did wanna mention, there's actually a really good example of this, like we talked about Drupal, for example, but there's a Drupal theme available for anyone that's built on USWDS standards that anyone can use. So that's just one specific example of how you can have community and modular, you know, modularity and open source technology provide benefits, not just to the people who are using it, or maybe the people who built it, but the community at large uh, in, in these types of times. So I think that was, a, that was a great deal for me, Don. I, I think I owe you one.
0: <laughs> Jacob, anything?
1: yeah the community thing you know i mentioned digital.gov earlier and we have 25 community communities of practice working on a number of things but there's usability there's user experience customer experience you know there's a web managers group um the web design system itself does have a couple community functions we built we started helping with that drupal uh implementation you were talking about eric so you know i've told the team we need to be able to help as many different platforms as possible because that helps you guys do your jobs easier and it helps you all spread the word. and helps us, you know, do, get our jobs and, and accomplish our mission much easier. So, you know, I think that as you're looking at, um, you know, reduce, reduced resources in such a situation, as Don mentioned, you're looking how you can sort of share your resources better and use your resources better across things. And I think open source, I think leveraging what other, folks have done the web design systems built primarily to be mobile friendly and to be accessible. So for the government, you know, those are two, you know, things that are being emphasized a lot these days. So I think it it makes sense to try to not reinvent the wheel and share the things that you can and focus your resources on those things There might not be a solution that you you need out there.
2: I, I agree totally, Jacob. And I think one of the things that we're gonna see is more standardization you know, a lot of people, the business reengineering, cash phrase has come back around, but the difference is now we have new tools like business process mining that allow us to look at event-driven business processes and really streamline them. I, I think the uniqueness that we've felt the need for in government for a variety of reasons, everything from the regulatory compliance environment to the you know, that the, we want to make it, uh, you know, our own. I think some of that's going to take a back seat to the crunch for budgets and the lack of resources. So I would really look for more standardization in terms of business processes, leveraging best practices. A lot of them are going to come from the commercial sector. Some of them will come from other, other gov- gov- um, government entities. I know GSA has been on the forefront of some of the identity management where we can leverage some of those strong tools across agencies. And so I really believe this cross-agency collaboration and and the newfound standardization is going to lead to some extremely positive results.
0: Great. Um, Another question. would love to hear the panelists' observation on the need to balance the ability to quickly stand up sites with the importance of ensuring the federal web websites really respond to the key needs and journeys of the public, their audience audiences specifically. Anybody want to chip into that, Eric? Maybe.
3: Yeah, I can. I can definitely jump in. Um, so I think. This is an interest. This is like the challenge right where it's the on the one hand it's I need to be fast and I need to respond quickly and I need to roll things out. And then at the other hand, and we actually just talked about this a little bit when we think about standardization and centralization of these resources, it's like But we have to adhere to certain guidelines or regulations or restrictions and we have to make sure that we're putting in any information or maybe you've worked with your team or an outside agency to build journeys or ideal journeys, um, I think it's it's very, it, honestly, it's, it's not the easiest problem to solve, but it's a good combination of technology and strategy to say, once you have those things, you need to be able to build them really quickly. It means that you can't necessarily just have you know, your, your team of developers in a corner building these things and not actually having interactions with other departments and, and groups that are actually responsible for, for the experience. Too often, you know, we have these different silos that exist, whether it be government or whether it be in retail yeah. or anywhere, that we create an experience in this room and then we roll it out, and then that's either it's not on brand, it's not reflective of all this great work we did for, for customer experience research or it's not reflect you know so it, part of it is around technology and having the tools that you can work interoperably and, and get things up quickly while still maintaining the compliance, but also the, the insight that that marketing teams or, or other CX teams are are working on so. Part of it is tech, but I mean a lot of this is, is strategy and teamwork, and not creating experiences in vacuums and and trying to maintain as much alignment as possible in a world where maybe it's a little bit more challenging to do so.
1: Yeah, I what would point? say I can add. Pop on. onto that. Um, there's an ES. Um, so for one. Policy. Good policy is helpful. Um, I'll give my coronavirus example here. Um, when, when everything started to happen, um, we, uh, DHS declared uh, ESF-15. I, I won't go into the whole policy, but I can send the, the page on digital.gov. And basically what this said is that DHS kind of and HHS kind of control what the messaging should be for any web agency website that goes up around coronavirus so that means if gsa has a website this here's how you'll structure it here's what you're saying you won't say information about this because that's hhs's lane so on and so forth so it simplified how we were building these websites each agency if they needed to one because you know the the stimulus package is required at other agencies to create coronavirus websites so that's one thing that's very helpful. And we still had to remind everybody that like, hey, this policy exists. And Gov was the place where, where you could see all that guidance. Um, I, I really like this question. I'm glad you asked it to us. I think, you know, coordination is important, but also just being very aware of what the website needs to do to complete said task or tasks, if that. So I think the simpler it is generally, the better. Because once you start to build in too much complexity, that's when you start to confuse the user. And if you have a website that does a bunch of things, you have to ask yourself, like, does it need to do all those things? Or is it, is it, does it, doesn't just need to be a simple website that does this, this, and this? So
2: that's my I, thought. I think in the spirit of kind of humility and uh, you know, really learning from, from this, things that we didn't know in advance, You know, some of the colleagues that I've run across point out new challenges and new insight that, you know, would have never occurred to me. An example is records management. So the record management lifecycle is very critical in government operations because, you know, you are the, the single source of authoritative truth on certain events that occur. And so some of the new technologies may be a little bit at odds with some of the emerging technologies such as AI and blockchain. And so as we really try to think through the rationalization and what were the original objectives of things like record management, and do some of those objectives get modified based on today's world and today's tools I think that's gonna be the dialogue over the next two or three years. We could do it. It may throw a compliance variance in the mix, but that may be okay because it meets the right objective for the for the mission.
0: Great, great. Uh Alyssa, can you tee up a poll question? Uh I, I do have one comment. It's it's from a Q&A, but it's not really a question, but it's kind of cool anyway, uh, from Joe Kroger. I'll, I'll give him a little credit on this one. At 12.01 a.m. on August 1, 1981, history was made when MTV, the first 24-hour video music channel, launched onto our television sets and literally changed our lives with the birth, birth of the music video. The first video ever played on the network was the quite ironic video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles. So that's your your music trivia. Um, that was a good one, a good one. So let's do the poll. Does your organization have any current digital monetization plans? Are we working on a strategy? Developed a strategy but haven't implemented it yet. We have implemented the strategy. We want to develop a strategy. We have no plans. Okay. We'll give it a couple seconds. I don't know how many people are going to say we have no plans. I don't know.
3: Is the I, know I know from ATARC's
0: experience. I know from experience, um, we were in a, a virtual, we were an events, physical events company and you know, nonprofit, and now we are gone completely digital. So there wasn't one plan we had on the table before that we're we're doing too much. It's like all new. Okay, let's see what we got. Okay, so we, we've got a almost a majority that are either in developing a strategy or developing a strategy and have implemented it, which may be it's getting shovel ready, but it isn't there. We have implemented a strategy. Okay, well, I feel a little better than 0%, we have no plans. I was hoping that would happen. So we're not... Really too far into this. We've got a ways to go. I, I think that's what we, we, my takeaway. What any other comments out there.
1: I'd be curious to know the people who have implemented their strategy, what their next strategy is Is there a new There you technology go. They're going there to you go.
2: Yeah, I think the past tense was the modifier that was kind of questionable because I know we had a strategy. Our strategy changed dramatically over the last two or three months, and there's some things that are easier to get done now digitally because of the remote workforce, and there's some things that are going to be a little more challenging. And, you know, as we think about the next new thing, is it going to continue to be a remote workforce to a larger degree than we ever thought possible? I know many of the Fed agencies have wrestled with the Accountability versus flexibility and agility questions, and you know the the numbers that seem to be coming back—it's still a little bit early—appear to to support the idea that people are being extremely productive as remote workforces in almost all the cases. So yeah. I think that's really going to be incorporated. You mentioned the videos. I mean, I mean clearly the idea that. Uh, video conferencing has been around for a while, but this may be the, the uh, flame that lights the firecracker.
0: Well, I was talking on one of our prep calls. I, I'm, you know, I'm a conscientious person. I try to do the best with whatever I have, but I think on conference calls, I might have been maybe looking at my email. I might not have had a hundred percent attention and I, I wasn't trying to be a bad person or anything. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong, but Video makes you engage. It makes you, it's a forcing function. So I feel like my staff, you know, rather than drifting off while I'm droning on, at least they're looking at me and they're, they're it seems like we have more bi-directional communication. So I, I'm starting to become a believer. In, and I think that once you get in your office, some people will be at home, some people will be in the office, but we'll all be using these collaborative tools. It doesn't really matter where you are uh, for the most part. Uh, Interesting. So we got a couple more good questions, actually. Uh, And I think this would be really, really good and get to the foundation, what we're trying to talk about. Um, What has been your experiences around converting traditional paper-based processes to digital during the pandemic in order to continue with the status quo, i.e. signatures? And
2: uh, before anybody
0: answers, I I just, go ahead, go ahead, Don. Don,
2: No, I'm done. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was going. I I just thought of this, uh, but a lot of these processes we have have nothing to do with IT, and I've realized that over the years. You know, when we're doing survey work at USDA, it really has nothing to do with IT if it's a paper-based service. So, what is IT? They don't even know what's going on because it's not really under their purview. So, this is a big, big challenge, and I I would love to hear what you what you all have to say. You know. It's it's probably one of the biggest challenges. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about. I probably should add it on my original questions. Go ahead, Don. If you want, I got to say, digital
2: forms, digital signatures. It's probably a lot harder than people realize. I mean, one of the challenges with electronic signatures is there's no modification of the document. There's no scribbling through on the third page that I meant to say three and I really said two. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of start the process over because you don't amend an electronic signed document. And there again, the whole aspect of electronic signatures versus digital signatures, which are typically more um, cryptographic signature-based, you know, most people are just learning about that. I know I'm I'm a kind of a recent convert into, you know, what some of the technology offers and how to apply it, when to apply it. So I think there's going to be a mix of approval-based activities that are, embedded in the, in the functional systems of record. And there are gonna be some agreement evidence activities that require digital signatures. In a contracting and procurement organization, obviously we're making obligations on behalf of the district. We're forming agreements with third parties. So a really strong, capable digital signature is gonna be a great enhancement to what we do and you know we, we have had a way to put that in our system of record for a while. But one of the things from a public transparency that's gonna be beneficial is when you put a scanned document on a website, people can't really interpret it other than to read it. When you put a digital artifact that has been electronically signed, then people can process it in new ways and form it with some pattern recognition, some AI, some advanced uh, capabilities to analyze and perform analytics on those documents. And so I I think it's a brave new world that's gonna come out about this, but Mm -hmm. back to the people experience, the frustration of learning how to get these capabilities embedded in your daily workflow Yes, they save time. Yes, there are fewer steps, but it is a new learning curve to be able to really work with things like electronic signatures.
0: Agree. Uh, we got one more good question that I definitely don't want to don't want to do it. So you know how Gardner comes in with their top ten every year and how it changes. Um, what do you think before pandemic and after pandemic what's what's at least got an arrow pointing up what are the the you know if you're going to list your priorities what are what are the a handful of priorities that are moving up this next year when you're planning for the next fiscal year inquiring minds want to know out there
3: I can take a crack at it, but I know Don, I know you're, yeah. you're probably thinking about this every day. So if you want to lead off, I can jump in after.
2: Um, sure, I, I mean, I think there's going to be a split. So if you look at the Gardner top 10 list, maybe three or four of them are going to survive as cool new stuff. And maybe the, the balance of them, or at least a good portion of them are going to be back to fundamentals. I think we're really going to be looking at things we've done for a while. And, you know, some people would refer to it as technical debt. So I think people will be paying down some technical debt in in this, you know, time of change. And then using that pay down as a platform to really kind of catch up, do some things that we meant to do previously, but we've never really gotten around to the focus on it. So I I think the some of the cool new stuff may slow down a bit because there's not gonna be the appetite and the funding for procuring a lot of new things. And so I, I think there'll, there'll be a little movement of back to fundamentals.
3: Yeah, I think, that's, that I think makes that's a lot of
0: sense. Go ahead, Eric.
3: Fair. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that I think legacy modernization or however you wanna frame it up is, is kind of fits in, in that. Um, you know, grouping. I think obviously it will always be risk management and cybersecurity. I, I don't know if that's always number one. I think that it will always be number one, or at least it should be for, for, for a very long time. But to add on to something that Don was talking about actually earlier is as we start to move everything or more things online, especially when we think about forms or you know, signatures or collection of data and information from constituents. I think we're going to see a bit more focus. Maybe it's not going to be top three. But I think we're going to start to see more focus on the data governance and the data collection and essentially the data presentation for what you're able to understand about your constituents. I mean, you think about a form, whenever someone fills out that form, that information goes somewhere. So yes, the risk and security compliance still really number one, but how do you manage the information that previously you didn't have in a digital way, you didn't have that as part of a specific platform. And now then, what are you gonna be able to do with that information in, again, a secure and compliant way to act, actually improve the constituent experience online? Maybe it's on a web or maybe it's on, it's on other channels. So I think we're gonna to start to see a lot more around the, the data collection, protection, and governance for, for constituents.
2: I, I totally agree. I think the other dimension that we're gonna see take on more importance is the role of privacy. So let's take, for example, an onboarding experience. In an onboarding experience, we've expected people to come in and bring us personal documents that have a lot of information that's beyond the question we're trying to ask. The question we're trying to ask is, are you eligible to work? That's the only thing we wanna know. We don't need to know some of the other extraneous information that those various forms of ID might carry with them. So I think there's going to be a move to collect things you need, not collect things that you don't need, things that'll get you into trouble from a HIPAA, a PII, some of the, uh, you know, more um, aggressive standards, such as the, the European privacy laws. And, you know, those may be coming to a state or a government near you. So I, I really think people are going to rationalize when they collect data, do I really need this data and do I want to store it somewhere? I think the data governance comments are absolutely right on. We're going to have to look at the way we store, protect, allow access, leverage, utilize things, but with an eye to both the security of them which security's got to get better. It's got to get easier. It's consuming too high a portion of everybody's budget. And we haven't shown an effective capability yet. So I'm hopeful that there's going to be some breakthroughs on the security front, but also there have to be some breakthroughs on the the data privacy and the the data categorization front.
3: CCPA will roll out soon as well. Um, That's it. That's something that I don't think these things are not going away. Like California might have been the first to roll out these types yeah. of privacy regulations. GDPR happened a couple years before that. But if you're even if you're not in California, you need to be thinking about these these things because we're not just planning for next month, right? We're planning for what we're gonna do next year and in the year beyond that and try to be able to be agile to, to meet those requirements, which maybe And
2: things future. things like the right to forget. Yeah. You know, those yeah. are gonna wreak havoc in the Legacy systems that we all enjoy and the use of health today. Health
0: exactly. Okay, I can't believe an hour has gone by, but we we will we'll go on for just a few more minutes. Um, I would love to get some final thoughts. You know, one of the one question we got is when do you think will, will the Idea Act help us transition to a, a, a finally transition us to a paperless office, paperless government? And I would love to get a prediction. When are, are we going to have? When is when are we going to have a paperless office. We've been saying this since 1976. Where will we be by the end of the year? And, and where do, you know, it'd be great to get some feedback just for fun.
2: Go ahead, Don. I, I actually came from the commercial world. So I have many, many more years in commercial than I do in the, in the government space. In, in, when we started our digital transformation, the first thing I did is I went and I acquired high volume, high capability, scanner printers. So the idea is the first step to reducing paper is to make paper so ridiculously easy to use that people are no longer hanging on to it because it's a scarce resource. So once printing and scanning and those kinds of things are not scarce resources, then I think people can make the mental pivot to why did I print it in the first place? I could have captured it in some digital artifact like a PDF file. I can put it on the cloud where I can get to it from any device. So I I think paperless is gonna be, it's gonna come about I think differently than any of us could forecast. I think a lot of smart people are gonna work on it and try to get us there. And I think for the people that are working to, to meet the mission, it just has to support an easier pathway to what they need to get done.
0: Right. Jacob, anything
2: you wanna add?
1: Yeah, I mean, I could argue that I have a paperless office not by choice these days. So <laughs> I, um, I think I'm finding there are a lot of less things that I print out just from a personal perspective. Yeah. Um, I think people who don't have printers right now in their house, you know, you're, you've heard about that. So I think that for me, I would um, say that we'll be closer, but we've already gotten closer just in the few, last few months. Yeah, Great.
3: 2023.
0: Eric, I'm giving you the last word. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's my guess and I'm, and I'm sticking to it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it'll depend on the department and, and how, how quick they move and, and like, I, I do think it's interesting actually, Jacob, I wasn't thinking about that as directly, but a lot of people don't have printers at home. They haven't printed anything out for months and now when they get back to the office, they're probably less likely to, to do some of that printing. Um, there you go. So that's funny. I did have just kind of one other final thought. I know we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the community and open source and all those types of things. And I guess I just wanted to, you know, to mention something that I am, am pretty excited about. You know, we, we work with a lot of great organizations at Acquia, but one of the things, you know, sometimes they create these amazing digital experiences on multiple channels. But what we've seen recently is that we've been in a, we've been put in a really, fortunate position like we're the, I'm pretty proud that the company is you know has the opportunity to support the communications missions of government agencies and organizations uh, in the private sector and in 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 government and they're they're playing a critical role in supporting the country through this crisis I mean there's a bunch of examples that I could share about who they actually are at the National Institute of Health the Department of Health and Human Services the Bureau of Economic Analysis but really for me like that's kind of a feel-good thing to to be able to be part of it. And I'm I'm just, the reason I said it, I hope it didn't come off in the wrong ways because I'm actually kind
0: of proud that we did and we're able to be in a position like that. That's fortunate. You you should be proud. Uh, Well, thank you, Don, Eric and Jacob. This has been a great discussion and uh, thanks to the audience. Uh, Great participation and uh, great questions. And and it was, most people have hung around the whole time, which uh, we must be doing something right. Uh, so we'll see you next week at our next webinar. Go up. Oh, go ahead. Oh, there's said one that? more.
3: Part. I'm actually. I went, to, I, had, I went to James Madison University, so I know Jacob is a is a Hokie. So I just wanted to end this thing on a. We started on a go Hokies. I might end it on a go Dukes. You know, just uh,
0: couldn't resist. Yeah, my son. Uh, my son's a Duke as well, and uh, he. None of my kids went Sounds to Virginia like Tech, so it's a good school. Good school. I like it. Well, thank you, Eric. Yeah, we'll keep that rivalry going. And uh, thanks everybody for attending and we'll see you next, next Thursday.